guys, welcome to the Two Fun Guys podcast. I'm your host, Brent Ruska. And I'm Tony Haddad. Today we have Andy Foe. Oh. Andy Foe. Uh, I found you because I'm always, you know, looking for dope places to get tattoos. I eventually want to get like a full back tattoo. I don't know, either when I turn 40 or 50. I feel like you need a certain amount of time to go by before you get certain pieces done or you kind of start to get the same shit, mm. at least for me, right? But looking at your Instagram, you have such an interesting story and I wanted to have you in because I think you have a lot of golden nuggets to share with people, especially young men. So I wanted to dive into your personal story and I want to go into the things that shaped you before you got to Austin. Mm. And so I want to let you just take the stage and let you pick where you want to begin with that. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me on here. Um, there's always a point where I start like right around when I'm 16. Prior to that, not much happened. You know, you grow up and stuff. But um, when I was 16, the week after my birthday, my father was involved in like a homicide robbery. Um, and I put a lot of blame on that on myself for a very long time because I went to go ask him to buy me like a custom computer. And that morning when he went to go pick it up, we were supposed to go together. He went to the bank to get cash, like 3 p.m. in the afternoon in Brooklyn. And we we're just waiting in the courtyard of our building, just playing some handball. And he didn't come back for a while. But the handball rolled into the alleyway that leads to the street. And there's typically homeless people that sleep there. They piss there or whatever. Um, but my dad was laying there, head split open, groceries on the ground, his wallet ripped out of his pocket. And um, that was just like the first time I've encountered like death, you know, and he was in a coma for four days. He died after that. And I just blamed myself heavily. Um, you kind of like grow up very quickly. So it started to like work. And just kind of like figure out my bearings. And I realized maybe within the past couple of years, I didn't have a role model or father figure or something to like model what it meant to be an adult or a man after that. I've always grown up with sisters. My mom was still around. The bosses that I've had mostly working after that were mostly female. Oh, yeah. So I had like a really strong female presence. Um, and it wasn't until I started working with my brother as who's uh, a tattoo artist, he taught me how to tattoo. That's when I started to like inject some male father figure influences. The gem behind that really painful loss is that I discovered my dad had three other kids, which was my brother and two others. Uh, we had a detective working on a case. And once he found that out, it was like unraveling like family mysteries. And um, through that loss, I was able to find a positive out of it, which was like my brother who taught me how to tattoo. Um, that's like the start. <laughs> How did you cope when your dad passed? Um, at 16, yeah. you know, most guys in general don't have any tools or even in our society of how to process things. Yeah. Like a death. Mm -hmm. So my brother-in-law uh, like introduced me to smoking, you know, so I just smoked weed and um, it was very easy to take on to. And we were doing like four blunts a day. So like we'd wake up, we smoke a blunt, have breakfast, blunt, lunch, breakfast, uh, lunch, blunt, dinner, blunt. And then like we would just repeat that for like the whole summer. Um, when I went back to school, that my dad passed in June, September, go back to school. I just completely stopped um, because I had something else to keep myself occupied. Um, but that was just my way after that. If I was stressed or if I was angry or something, it was so easy to just get that and like feel a sense of relief. And um it made me feel high because I would say such a low point in my life. And I think that's why a lot of people go to smoke or do whatever else, because like they need to lift them out of this negative feeling. Um, over time, I realized smoking started to make me feel low. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like it was bringing me down, it was sapping my energy, it, was, it wasn't allowing me to be who I wanted to be or become. So then like you start to drop those things over time and you find other coping mechanisms. So then it's MDMA, then it's mushrooms, and then perhaps it's working out. So you find some ways to deal and process with your emotions. Um, there's always gonna be some sort of vice or coping mechanism, but it's just trying to find like the best positive ones to help you through it. But weed was like around from 16 up until Easter of last year. So almost like uh, 18 years I've been smoking. Oh, so you're freshly out of smoking. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I remember the last one too, because um, I smoked with one of my neighbors. Um, and it was just, she was a, she was an older lady. So it was just really cool to smoke with like this old lady. And um, my daughter came out and she was into blowing bubbles at the time. She was like, Papa, like I want, I want to blow too. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I was just like, fuck, what am I doing? Like, mm-hmm. this is like her, her memory of it now. And I just remember looking at it and I was like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And what a way to go out. Like on Easter day with my neighbor and uh, my daughter doesn't have to see this anymore. And um, that was the same with drinking too. Drinking was also a coping mechanism for many years, blacked out drinking on the weekends and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remember like having a beer for lunch. And every time I drink a beer, like each lunch, the beer, I would drink less and less of it. And at one point I was just having pizza and a beer and I was like, I don't even enjoy this anymore. Like it, it brought me down, you know, but other times when I was younger, like you drink and, you know, it just made me feel good and be free. But um, I, I just learned to like, let go of more and more of those things, including like mushrooms, MDMA, ketamine and all that. I think I saw a post where you talked about to deal with emotions, you were taking up to like three, four plus grams a day yeah. of mushrooms. Uh-huh. Was that before you got to Austin? Uh, that was in Austin. Okay. Yeah. So mushrooms was fairly new, I'd say uh, 2020. And I got into mushrooms. So I, I was living in Las Vegas. I learned how to tattoo, um, left my brother's shop. And that was probably the next catalytic moment. Like the brother that I found through my father who was murdered, taught me how to tattoo, filled in that role model figure. Um, and I was tattooing with him for about nine years but we're just different people. So just personally, business-wise, I wanted to do things differently and and part ways. He wasn't very happy with that, you know? So we weren't on good terms after we left and um, just went through like a a negative state of just being depressed, angry, sad, frustrated. Did I make a mistake? Like, did I do the wrong thing? This was the right thing. Like, what what am I doing? You know? So I just had a lot of um, questions about like my life, almost existential crisis, if you will. and I had a client who gifted me a chocolate mushroom bar. And on the back, it said, if you take one to two pieces, you'll feel good. If you eat the whole bar, the walls will melt. And I was like terrified. I've always heard of psychedelics, but I didn't want to be stuck in a closet and kill myself or something. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. what it would have done. But I had uh, a doctor who was helping with some chiropractic issues. Like I knew he was openly talking about psychedelics. And I gave it to him just in secret. I was like, hey, I got something that I think you'll like. And he goes, oh, perfect. You know me. I was like, well, you know about this? Like, what is it? He goes, yeah, we do it all the time. I said, what is it for? It's like, it's for you to, you know, be creative or work through some traumas. And I push all the other stuff that he talked about away. I said, oh, I want to be creative, you know? So (laughs) uh, he ended up just kind of helping me explore through smaller than bigger and bigger doses. Um, One time I did like seven grams with him and didn't know how to drive, but I was in the car and just, you know, and he's really, you know, what you would call perhaps a bad trip. But then I just learned how to microdose, but I actually realized I was macrodosing. So microdose is like under gram. Mm-hmm. I was taking like two grams in the morning and then before noon, I was taking like another gram and a half. So I was just always 
buzzing. And you were what, going what, through yeah, through what, your day, like, yeah, like you're like? tattooing people on, <laughs> that was on every day. the mushrooms? That was every day. And um, there was even times where uh, I had my client send me like a box of all these chocolate bars. So then it was just easier where like, just pop out a piece of chocolate mm -hmm. and there, there would be your gram to kind of re-up me through the day. And what I loved about it at the time was it made me feel um, lighter, more joyful, less anxious, less nervous, because I was at such a low state. And I would rather have felt that way and like be relaxed and calm and do the tattoo and just be super calm and um, be nicer around my daughter, be more patient, be calm. Um, and I did that for about, when did I move here? Summer of 2021, all the way up until summer of 2022 for almost a whole year. I was on about like three to five grams of mushroom per day. That is super impressive. <laughs> that's, I could it's not. It's really impressive. Yeah, that's, and you used that's to take, another level. You used to take uh, like macro, like for you a macro dose, like heroic doses of 20, 25 grams, right? Yeah, so then I would do like ceremonies where I would sit in a controlled environment with instruments and sage and, you know, just people kind of holding space so that you can work through your stuff. Mm -hmm. um, seven grams, 12 grams, the most I've done was like 22. Um, and I was like, I wanna see what's in here. I wanna see what's in here and go as deep as I can. And even at 22, like you just, you just hit a wall where it's like, there's a line that's like, once you get the message, hang up the phone. Yeah. Mm. And I was like, there is nothing else for me th through this mm. right now. Right now, there's nothing else. And I just came out of it and, you know, we're talking about what did you learn? What did you get out of it? I was like, the same? You know, and I realized like mushrooms help you see, you already know like who you are, and, but you kind of hide a little bit of that. And mushrooms just like, it just showed me a bit of it. But at some point there was like, there's nothing else we can show you. You know about yourself, you know what needs to change. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just like, I think I'm done with it. And what was that message that you heard that finally made you hang up the phone? Um, it was just a, a part of me to like, to just start doing the work. And by doing the work, it was like, get honest with who you are, with your past. Um, it was a lot of like, just being a victim um, of like, my dad passing away, you know, just using that as like my sad story, mm -hmm. you know, of just like not being happy with uh, how I was raising my kid, you know, but I realized I was like mirroring a lot of the same parents as my my father. And I was like, you don't have to um, use that as justification for how you are to your kids. Um, you can change all of that. And it was just kind of like a hard realization. Um, the other one was when I was leaving, working with my brother, um, I put quite a bit of blame, like being a victim of like, well, he treated me a certain way, but just coming to acceptance of like, you know, you also put yourself into this situation too. Number one, you got into tattooing. You said you weren't going to leave him, but you decided to leave him anyway. So you couldn't keep your own word and to have mushrooms doesn't give you the message very clearly, right? It takes time to unpack. And it was one of those things of like, you broke your own promises. You know, you couldn't be who you needed to be. You couldn't be the support for the other person that you said you were gonna be supportive for. And I started to see this pattern of like, me doing that perhaps with my wife, mm -hmm. with my kids. And I feel like I'm better than I was before and I can justify it that I'm better than a lot of other people that I know. But at the end of the day, you're still your own problem and you can be your own solution. 
instead of having to run towards a mushroom, which was also part of the message of like, we're not going to help you. Like, we're just going to show you and expose who you are. You have to actually like change it yourself. Right. So time to go in. And that's where journaling now like took over, which is like, I'm going to work through these things without the mushroom. I get to like work through my thoughts during working out. I can work through my thoughts during meditation. I can work through my thoughts during journaling, which I haven't done a lot of before. Right. So, I mean, that brings up a question that I was curious about because you're obviously very good at helping men move through their problems and improve themselves. It seems like that's kind of been your your mission as of lately, right? You have a book coming out all about that. Yeah. And similarly to you, I lost my father when I was really young. And I also turned to psychedelics for that healing process. And despite the name of the podcast being an allusion to mushrooms, yeah. we don't want to only condone psychedelic usage. And there's obviously so many ways that people can go along that path to healing. Yeah. So for maybe some guys or girls out there that don't want to use psychedelics or maybe have an aversion to it, or it's just not something that they're open to, how could they start that process of healing what's going on with their with their traumas, like where, like what is the process of doing the work, and how can they get on that path? Yeah, um, the sentiment that I picked up over time is not one key unlocks every door, mm-hmm. right? So depending on whatever you're going through, like it may be this one modality that like gets it for you. It may be another one. It may be a combination of different things. So I've done a combination of different things, and I've spoken openly about like psychedelics, about using it, of how beneficial it is, but it's great for some, it's not great for others, depending on what type of personality that you have. Um, but one of the things that I like getting people started, you know, when it comes to like, oh, my coaching program where people just DM me, they're like, what's the best book that I should read? A journal. That's the only book that's gonna tell your story so that you can get to understand yourself. And it's a way for you to rewrite who you are now and get you to a clear path to who you wanna become. So journaling ends up being like the first thing that I like, I push on to people. It's like, if, you, if you're looking to know yourself or fix something or get to know a little bit more, like start with the journal. And that just ends up being the most scariest thing for people. Like, well, where do I start? What do I write? Whatever you think, whatever you feel. And I don't know what to write. Start by writing that. And then just allow the thoughts to come out. And it becomes very scary because like, we judge ourselves based on the contents of that journal. And the more open and honest that you can be, like the more you get to learn about yourself and you can kind of work through the process a little bit deeper, heavier, more fuller. Um, but there's different layers of it depending on the type of personality that you that you are, that you have. Um, I, wanna, I, don't, I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah. <laughs> I want to dive a little more into your tools, but mm-hmm. before we move on, people that do want to use mushrooms to get the most out of them, whether it's microdosing or macrodosing. And now, you know, looking back on your story, having used it a ton what are good, what's good advice for people to uh, take away, to benefit from using uh, microdosing yeah. or macrodosing? Like what would you, what could have gotten you to change quicker that you could have implemented? Would you say it's journaling? Because it sounds like it went on for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. What, what can people who want to use mushrooms create change do to get the most benefit out of it? that really want to create change in their lives. Yeah. Um, I think using it, I, I'm, a, I'm very um, in my head. So I can, pro- I feel like I can process a lot of thoughts and ideas and I can work through it. But until I started journaling in combination with the mushrooms, then I started to like 
lay out my thoughts better. The way that I would describe it is kind of like how Tony Stark has, you know, the, all these things on the board. Um, by journaling, I was able to like take all of the realizations that I had through mushrooms that are just happening so fast and so powerfully, and then just streamline it into like something that's easy to read and understand, like in the form of a journal. Um, having like that set and setting. So like I've done it where like I haven't been in the best setting or in the best environment or the best best headspace. I was just kind of taking it just to like, this is going to help fix my day. Um, having, you know, someone to be there with you to make sure you're going to be okay within the space um, to kind of guide you through it. If something goes wrong, like I had a couple moments where I didn't have somebody, you know, so having that support system is good, but in conjunction to journaling, I think is like, it would have helped me got out of it sooner, but I didn't, I didn't do that because I thought like, oh, I can just work through this, like, up here cerebrally. Um, so I, I would just help guide people towards that first. That's awesome. Would you say that the moment your daughter wanted to blow bubbles with your with joint? With my joint, yeah. Yeah. Was that the moment that everything shifted where you started to let go of everything and go, okay, I need to just start to move in a different direction? Or was that just one piece along the way? That was one piece along the way. So the year prior, I stopped drinking. Um, my family drank a lot. And I guess like, I would kind of like, uh, what do you call that? I would just look at them as like, you know, they were bad for drinking and, you know, the way that, you know, they raised us or the way that they acted out while they were drinking or they were partying and stuff. Um, but I also have to remember like my parents escaped genocide in Cambodia in like the 70s. So like they've seen and been through a lot. That was their coping mechanism. And they were at least in a friendly social environment where they can kind of like work through their process their emotions and they could get positive feelings out of singing karaoke, playing cards, eating and, and drinking. Um, but we picked up those drinking habits in turn. Um, 2021 was when I like realized I just want to stop drinking because I didn't feel good about it. Um, 2022, stop drinking or stop smoking. And that was when my daughter saw me, which is like, I don't want to have to emulate this behavior in front of her because like she may pick that up at some point because kids look up to us and then they're going to see that that's something that they could or should do later on in the future. And then mushrooms was one of those things of like, I don't want to be dependent on any substance anymore. Like, it's not like, do I have to go through the rest of my life? If I feel anxious or nervous or upset or depressed, I have to always turn to this thing. What if I can't get the thing? Does that give me justification to act out or, you know, behave in a certain way? And it's like, how can I have control over my own thoughts, emotions, and feelings? And then that's just what allowed me to just like, I, I got to do without it. And then it's just finding out how to do that. That started like the journey of like this self-mastery of like, can somebody else show me a way to do this? You know, and then I just started to go down the Instagram hole of like, personal development, you know, and I've always been into like self-help books and podcasts and things like that. But then I just took to the people who were like sober, you know, and like finding ways to live, you know, a positive life without having to depend on substances, which was foreign when you spend about 34 years seeing and believing that everyone else does these same things. This is the way we, we humans have to deal with it, right? And it's like, nope, they're clear, there's clearly now for me, a group of other people who can do without it. Who were some of those role models that you found? The biggest influential person for me was Wes Watson. And um, just to see this man have this history, go 10 years in prison, come out, not have anything, be sober, have this militant discipline of waking up at a certain time, waking up, inspiring people, helping them change their lives. 
is this too good to be true? You know, and like I questioned it. I I met him through um, a, a performance, a high performance summit, and just to see him talk, his energy and the way that he came off, and I got to spend some time with him as I like tattooed his sleeve and his neck, and just to see the man live what he was preaching, and then to see and meet all the other people along the way that he's helped impact to come off of smoking, drinking, just any negative uh, vices or habits. Show me the way, right? And I ended up mentoring under him for about a year and I couldn't let go of the mushroom at the time. It was one of those things that I still just justified. And um, eventually I was just like, this was like, I feel like the last vice as far as you know, psychedelics or substances that I just had to let go of. Um, that was like what the, the most major and recent um, influence for me. Cool. Do you feel like you have any vices now or have you sort of transferred your vice into like the vice of working out or the- I, I feel like I'm understanding that working out is the you, vice. You've transmuted it yeah. into something positive. And it's like, oh, this is what's good for me. It's building me up. It's making me strong. But at the end of the day, um, you still have to depend on something to work through these positive emotions. Like what if you can't work out? What if you're in the middle of, you know, being in wherever with your family or something? So um, learning that, you can't always turn to just doing burpees and push-ups or, or hitting the gym when you're frustrated because then you feel trapped or stuck when you don't have that. So I'm starting to build the awareness of that now, but better than, and I think this is for most people that I coach, better than going to drink six beers a day or better than smoking four blunts a day. Like, can you at least monitor what you're eating and take care of your health through working out? And then at least now they have a positive coping mechanism to deal with the anger, frustration, rage, sadness that they have. Yeah, it's like transferring from negative vices to positive. And positive ones could become negative, but they're going to net net positive you in your life. Yeah. And maybe have multiple different ones so you're not only relying on exercise or only relying on meditation, right? You have yeah. like it sounds like you have an array of ways of, you know, being able to process your feelings and emotions and stay centered. Yeah. Does where does the project come into? Did you meet Wes at the? No, the project was before that. Okay, when was yeah. that? That was uh, 2020. So can you can you give an overview for people of what the MDK project yeah. is? Yeah, so the Modern Day Night Project, um, it's a personal business development program for men, for men and it's uh, 75 hours um, run by an entrepreneur, a Navy SEAL, a Marine, um, there's a SWAT officer, you know, just people with different skill sets in life. And uh, it's 75 hours of physical challenges, um, uh, business development, it's uh, emotional training. And what you see on the Instagram highlights is just people being hazed boot camp style or like, you know, military training or on the beach, um, low sleep, high physical exhaustion. But in between that, all those things that they do is just very intentional to help teach you a lesson and mirror back how you'd respond in very stressful situations. Um, so when I was leaving my brother's shop, I needed help with business. Like I didn't know how to run or manage a business. I was like, who can be my mentor and coach? So Bedros Koulian, who's the founder of the project, um, I signed up for him for business coaching. Our first couple calls were all personal calls. Like, help me out with my brother. How do I deal with this? Like, I'm, I'm just not, I can't get to do this next step in business because like, I'm feeling this sort of way. And he's like, well, we have the project and I think this would solve a lot of your problems if you went through it. 
So if your coach tells you to jump, you say, okay, like we're going to go jump. So I signed up for the project. I had one month of prep for it. And um, it, I, I didn't really have a lot of expectations because I was in class five and there wasn't a lot of um, clips or information of it out. Um, but as you expect, a lot of just physical challenges and you're just pushing yourself to the limit and you get to see like, what were your breaking points? How would you respond to certain people? How do you deal with getting feedback? And then we started to go deeper and deeper in terms of like the trauma aspect. I didn't know that was one of the goals of like the project was like, we're going to find out why you're so fucked up as a man and like help you unfuck yourself. But in order to do that, first they have to break you down physically, mentally, emotionally to get you to bond with the people that are there to kind of trust so that when you're ready to open up, like now you're ready, you're just kind of raw and you're ready to open up. And I've shared this story plenty of times with my father being robbed and murdered and uh, we have this evolution, this part where we're just kind of talking about, you know, our worst experience ever. And I tell this story all the time. My dad was robbed and murdered, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I had a realization towards the end of it after I journaled and I shared, I was like, I have something else that I want to share that's not on here. Why I'm really fucked up is that my mom found a new boyfriend the week after my dad passed away. And I started to see how that was like impacting, you know, different areas of my relationships, you know, at home and with my wife and everything else. I was like, wow, wow, didn't really see that. And everyone else is sharing equally their fucked up stories that you're like, wow, I didn't know that other grown men can go through stuff too. And that you can have all these different circumstances. Um, so you learn a lot about yourself. Um, you learn a lot about the vulnerabilities that other people have and that can share. And you just kind of build this network. Um, the, the Modern Day Night Project is a brotherhood of different people of all aspects of life who are trying to get better and level up in life. So I've never had a group of men who were just driven before, who just wanted to do and be better in life. Um, I grew up in the hood, you know, just people just weren't doing great. Everyone was always trying to pull each other down. So I just kind of started to latch on to like, how can I make myself better? And that was starting through like 2020. Bader Schoolian and Wes Watson, they were co-hosting the High Performance Summit. So that was in um, 20, 2021, 2022, that, you know, that, that's where those, those two connected. Can you talk about like a peak moment in the project yeah. that was like almost broke you or yeah. most challenging? Yeah. So the project is like a 40% attrition rate. It's either you pass or you quit or you can get medically rolled. Um, so there's a bell that signifies you ring it three times. Like I quit, I'm done. Uh, and there's an evolution that's called the pit. So you're crawling through rocks, dirt. You've already been wet. You've been beaten down. And you don't know how long you're going to go for. You can be there for an hour. You can be there for 14 hours. They have you for 75 hours. And I was the slowest crawler. And I just remember every time just crawling, just looking and having that conversation of like, I don't have to be here. I know myself. I don't have to prove anything. And you're just going through these moments and you're just seeing everyone else go forward. And because you're the last one, everyone has to stand back up come back, get you, and then we're crawling together again. And then everyone's leaving. And then you're just like, fuck, am I really the one that's holding everybody back? Mm. And I just came to like a snail's pace. And one of the instructors came down and was just telling me, he was like, you need to find something to get you to that tower, or that goal that we were supposed to get to. And he was talking to me about stories about how his dad was also uh, murdered. And he was talking about his daughter that he lives for. You know, so just imagine like if your daughter was on the other side and you had to go save her, like, would you go do that? 
My daughter was three at the time. And I was like, yeah, I would. He was going to go fucking crawl. And I was like, oh, I can attach something more powerful, more higher, more meaningful to this suffering that I'm in right now. And that's just what made me what they call like flip the switch. And I just remember going right, left, right, left. And they were just trying to talk to me. And they're like, nope, he doesn't hear us. He's just in his own space. And I was able to push through this adversity, this challenging moment and get to that particular goal. Um, that was the most powerful thing that I could do was just realize I had the control to change the narrative perspective on what I wanted to do with my life at that time. And I could have easily given up, but I just attached something that was more meaningful to me and it got me to the end. Um, I'll tell one more story about like what taught me a lesson from the project. This was after when I came back as a cadre, as like a junior instructor or volunteer, seeing other men go through the same thing. And you're on the other side, you're dry. You're just kind of watching them go through their thing. And you know, the guys are going through their rounds and one guy wants to go ring the bell. I guess I must not have heard this the first time, but one of the instructors says, he's going to ring the bell three times and it signifies three things. Number one, he's gonna quit on himself. And in my head, I'm talking for him. I was like, fuck this project. I don't need any of this. Uh, number two, he's gonna ring the bell for quitting on all of you guys, on his teammates. I go, fuck you guys. I don't know any of you. Like, <laughs> I don't care. I'm gonna ring this bell. Yeah. For the third time, he's gonna ring the bell for everything else that he's gonna quit in life. I was like, wow. And then you can just hear the bell. He was so timid with it. Ding, ding, ding. No, you gotta ring it louder. One, two, for some reason, the third one just sounded louder. Oh. And I just can't imagine that bus ride or the plane ride going back home yeah. for everything else that you're going to quit in life. Um, it makes it hard to quit things. It's not that, you know, it's, those moments are not gonna come up, but it's like, can you endure just a little bit longer? Is it worth enduring? Can you attach a higher meaning or purpose to whatever that you're doing? And if it's not, then find something else that you're more passionate about. Do you teach men how to create these skills in daily life without having to go to something like this? Is that part of something you do? Yeah. Yeah. So um, on Sundays, we do like a group workout. So it's 5.30 central time and guys join from different time zones. Um, and the time is unknown. The exercise is unknown, but we just kind of help push them through this where sometimes it's like, we're doing an hour burpees today. They just don't know how long they're going to do it for. And sometimes I'm guiding them through the self-talk about you know what to think. And I can see them through the Zoom call, like some of them are fatiguing or you can tell they're you know just about done. Um, other times it's like what we did this past week, um, we did 20 push-ups. That's all you guys have to do today. They're nodding their head, cool, 20 push-ups. But in between, you have to plank for the rest of the minute. So it's 20, second, 20 minutes of planking with 20 push-ups and it's not gonna be pretty, you're not gonna stay up the whole time, but when do you get back up? And there's no guidance to that. Like you, I just allow them to work through the self-talk and you see some of them staying on the floor. You see something getting back up and struggling. I'm struggling too. There's a video of it online, but- Mental warfare. Yeah, so it's yeah. getting them through these small windows of exercises to like, can you endure these events? The burpees is like, can you be full force and active for these 30 seconds? And then for 30 seconds, be completely still. Arms at your side, chest up, shoulders back, deep breath through your nose. Don't look anywhere else, just look straight. And you can see some guys fidgeting and they're contemplating life in the workout. And other times the guys are just stoic there. So through these workouts, like we give them, I give them a little sample of what I've taken away from the project of like getting them to like feel some adversity weekly. And we have our personal development call immediately after that. 
So then we go through a round table of discussion of like, so what came up for you during this? And you can kind of hear they share a little bit about their self-talk or what they thought about. Some of them didn't even want to show up to the call. Um, but I like to do that where it's like just sharing a bit of your experience and knowledge to help them get through the next moment. So what do you say, what is your mission with taking men through these workouts and writing your book? What What is your mission with all that? The general direction that I've been going is just to help people do better and be better, right? And even for the ones who feel like they've gotten their life like under control, there's there's nothing wrong. Like my life's good. I felt that way at some point. Like my life's good. It's like, you can always do better and be better. And I'm going to show you how to get there if, if you want, if you want it, you know? And I think that's the people that are drawn to my page or my coaching, whatever I'm doing, like they just see uh, something in them that there's a little bit more that they can unlock. They know that they're lacking some sort of drive energy. Um, they, they can be a little bit, they, they can give a little more to life. Um, and then there's other people who are just completely stuck. And I get those messages all the time. Like they just need help. They're lost. They don't know what to do. So I just want to help people like get out of that dark hole that I've been familiar with. And I look at my life situations and I look at a variety of people's life experiences. I know that I didn't have it the worst. Again, I remember my mom telling me stories when she's uh, in Thailand, escaping in the jungle um, and just people going through war, whatever it is. It's like, there's people who have it worse than you, but you can still take the commonality of like suffering and help people get out of that. So whatever it is that you're going through, um, I may not have the answers for you, but I'm gonna at least give you some light to help you figure out the path to help you get there. And I think that's just, uh, that's just part of the mission. You know, it's just like, I, I feel like we're here to help people and you can do everything else too. But I've, part of my common question that kept coming up during these plant medicine ceremonies was like, what's the goal worth achieving in life? Like, what's the purpose of life? Like, what what am I pursuing that that makes it worthwhile? And it's it's changed along the years where it's like, I wanna be the best tattoo artist ever. And you get to a certain point where like, it's a good goal, but is there something that else that can be a little bit rewarding on top of that? And, you know, it's going to evolve and unpack over time, but I find the most fulfilling times, the moments when I lose myself, lose my ego is when like, I can just help somebody through a DM or a phone call, work through their stuff. And I forget about my problems and they end up coming out better, hopefully. So, your participation in the MDK project, was that after the psychedelic usage? It was before. Before. That was before. Yeah. Do you think going through the project and enduring that level of intensity, pain, suffering, like pushing through, do you think that gave you the like the mental fortitude to take those high doses of psychedelics? Uh, I don't think so. I, I don't, the MDK project is like, a psychedelic experience of right. its own. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was taking mushrooms, I was like, anything better than what I'm feeling now. And the thought was like, I was worried that I was going to kill myself. Like I was going to get, again, stuck. I hear people just having these really bad trips. And I was like, if I take this, like, will I die? You know, like I was afraid I was going to like do something that I just, like, I couldn't fathom. I couldn't imagine but I think I would rather have tried that and not one key f opens every door, every lock. If the MDK project fixed me, like whatever that meant, I probably wouldn't have gone to uh, psychedelics. Mm. Psychedelics still hasn't quite fixed me, 
you know? So like there's, so there's always, there's just working through those different layers. Um, did it make, what did you say, brave enough to, or what? Yeah, like the, to, to take that level doses. of psychedelics, or yeah. even even a eighth sometimes, mm -hmm. it takes a mental fortitude to yeah. push through the waves that psychedelics bring on. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I was curious if the MDK project helped build that mental fortitude that's sometimes required to not fall into a quote unquote bad trip or to mm -hmm. get caught in a loop. Because you do have to find this balance with psychedelics of maintaining control, but also letting go of all of it. And you right. kind of have to do both, right? Yeah. And so it takes a, a strong mental fortitude to be able to do that. So I, I was maybe seeing if there was a correlation there. Yeah. Um, yes, but I think a lot of my life, I was always used to like holding my shit together, like not letting anyone see like I was going to lose it. And that's how you are when you're in a ceremony. Like there's a bunch of people here. I was like, I don't want these people to see me lose it. And I did have a hard time, you know, in ceremony, you're supposed to just, or on psychedelics, you're supposed to just let go, let the experience. And this part has like, no. No, because I'm going to see or experience something or everyone else is going to experience something that like I may not, I'm not ready to quite see yet. So not every experience was like fully diving in. Um, I, I think most of my life I've always been used to like hiding pain, anger, you know, sadness and just not allowing things to like fully realize itself. Um, was that what allowed me to get through 22 grams? No, um, I remember just 22 grams. Like it's like when you turn on your MacBook and like, it's just loading and like nothing's quite happening yet. Like I just got to that point where it's like, what now? <laughs> what do you choose to do with your life after this point? And then like you slowly start to come back and um, the different parts of your operating system are turning back on. You, you start to feel your hands and you realize where you are and there's food and there's water and there all these things. Like it was like a fresh reset of like, how do you want to continue life? at this point. And I was like, I don't want to have to be dependent on this anymore. I don't want to be angry anymore. I want to feel useful. I don't want to feel useless. There's not like a straight answer to that because that all just depends on like your beliefs and your philosophy of like how you want to live your life. Mm -hmm. I want to dive a little bit into your book. Can you kind of lay out how the book unfolds like different chapters? Yeah. So we've got um, 13 chapters planned. We don't have, it's a wor working title. We don't have one yet, but um, it's helping people identify their lower self, their present self, and the higher self. The lower self is what's always going to um, be your past. Anything prior to this specific moment, all of your memories, um, your experiences, your limiting beliefs, um, that's holding you back from becoming the best version of you. Um, your present self is the one that is objectively just observing, it makes the decisions, it has the power to either relive that lower self and just go through the same cycles every day or be aware of like, there's something that I can change. And the higher self is the best version of you that you want to become. So you can identify that. And then it's creating, helping people through the book, create a path from where you are now to detach from living beliefs, to step towards the best version of who you want to become. And then we have all the tools, you know, of being able to like be clear on what it means to get to that point. But also what I realized is that higher self that you envision is still a limiting belief because once you get to that point, well, then there's more on top of that. Mm -hmm. You become, you become better. That's just the best that you can imagine right now. So it's just helping people get unstuck from their limiting beliefs and then just become clear on like, what are the steps that I can take to become better than who I am right now?
Oh, that's dope. Do you know when that'll be out? Uh, we have a launch for about May right now. Okay, that's awesome. Can you share some tools that you haven't already shared about getting to that higher self yeah. that people can apply now? Mm -hmm. So um, what we do, like we have like a, through my training app, it's like a daily mastery checklist. And then those are the tools that, you know, we talk about in the book. Um, a big part of that is journaling. And that's just getting people to do the mental, the psychological, the emotional part of just exploring, you know, who they are. Um, and then also creating who they want to become. So it's just visualizing and just knowing like, what are your day-to-day -day processes? Um, the meditation is a part of that. And that's just giving people the time and space to just be still with their thoughts and their feelings of who they are rather than just running away from it. Um, ice baths, cold showers, that's just another part of it. And um, we do the same things when it comes to like working out, which is like getting you to realize your mental and physical states, you know, during moments of stress. So we teach people a lot to like pause before reacting and ice baths are perfect for that because you know it's gonna be cold, you know you're gonna be stressed out, but it's just this very short window, this three minutes of stress, this three minute cold shower. How are you going to breathe and react and deal with this moment of adversity? And the real time example that we use in our phone calls is people have moments when they're uh, overreacting to their kids, to their wives, to their employees. And it's like, could you not have taken a moment to breathe, recenter and respond rather than react? Um, and then the workout is just a way for, you know, just people to just kind of build themselves up physically and gives them a positive vice, you know, a positive tool for them to um, attach an activity to rather than like, I'm just gonna go smoke the stress away. Go do some push-ups. And that's sometimes how we just start is like people who've never worked out before done anything is like, just start with 20 push-ups a day, check the box that you worked out and just build those small habits. So it's getting people to like, just create a daily um, checklist for them to like, work through their, work through their shit. That's awesome. Yeah. What's your daily checklist now? Yeah. So right now I'm up at five o'clock in the morning. Um, I do like 45 minutes of working out. Um, I do a 10 minute meditation. And then after that, it's just going through like some light reading. Um, I'm just going through the things that are going to wake me up and put me in like a positive headspace. Um, and I've also just being aware that if I don't get to do those things, if something happens for some reason, can I be okay not working out, not meditating, not journaling, not being attached to that morning routine? Um, I've been able to do it every day, but I just have to be aware, like I can't, it doesn't give me permission to snap when I don't have, when I don't get a chance to work out or meditate or do any of that stuff. Damn, that's yeah. cool. I wanna talk a little bit about your tattooing journey. How long have you been tattooing? Uh, it'll be 13 years in March. What got you into tattooing? Um, I've always done art. I've always drawn um, pencil, charcoal. Um, I wanted to find a career that I loved doing. And I grew up in an immigrant household, so it's always like be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. One of my sisters is an engineer. She has degrees in mechanical, electrical, nuclear, and she loves her job. Wow. So I went to college to be an electrical engineer but you go through two years of core classes and I had no idea what it meant to be an engineer. So by the time an engineering class came, I felt like I missed something. All these other kids are like enthusiastic about what they're talking about. And I dropped that after three classes. Um, I got into graphic design and I had some really good art professors who were really like seeing something and just nurturing me to do something with art. Um, I was on a lunch break from work and I saw like my cousin and some friends showing off like tattoos that they did in each other. And it wasn't even that good. But um, 
I asked my cousin, like, would you let me tattoo you? He says, oh, only if you got good. So I remember my brother was a tattoo artist. I sent him a message. I said, what advice would you have if I wanted to tattoo? He said, if you move to Las Vegas, I'll teach you how. And that was it. I went to Las Vegas and it was my first time stepping foot into a tattoo shop. And this might've been a very influential part, but to see him doing large sleeves, front panels, back pieces, realistic black and gray, having a good time with his clients. People were flying in and like to see that level of commitment and the type of artwork that's being produced. I said, that's what I want to do. I want to love my job like my brother loves his job. And then it's just been that ever since. That was like 2011. Dang. And you've created a a really beautiful space here in Austin. Thank you. Can you talk about that a little bit? Me and Tony are going to have to come check it out. Yeah. Um, Upside Tattoo, we're in Hutto. Um, We opened, um, well, we've been in there for about a year now. Um, I just wanted a place where I could like focus on the client experience and tattooing is all kinds of experiences. You know, it it dates back a very long time and all different cultures have had it. There's, you can think about the different types of tattoo shops and artists and styles. Um, the feeling when you come into the place, it's just like a Zen space, like just low distractions. Um, we, we call like high frequency, low energy where like the clients can come in and decompress, call it almost like a spa day. Um, And we just have it set up so that all the clients and artists are coming in around the same time. We start the day with a little bit of breath work or gratitude share so that we can get to know each other by name and know a little bit about each other so that when we're sharing space and going through this physical transformation, um, we can be human. We We can connect with each other in this environment that typically doesn't really happen. And I think that's the thing in tattooing is that There's a part of tattooing that is very transactional. It's a service. You're here to do the tattoo. I'm gonna put headphones on, have a great day. Other times it's like this ritual, this process, this connection that takes place. And I've always leaned towards that. Every client that I've had, we end up having deep conversations. We end up becoming friends. Uh, We go through years of working on sleeves and bigger projects. And these people spend time and energy researching who's going to permanently mark their body for the rest of their lives. They're saving their money. They're taking time off weeks or months in advance. You owe it to them to be the best and to not be distracted and to come in ready to go. So um, I just wanted a space where like we can, we can foster that. Honor the ritual. Honor the ritual. Yeah. Yeah. I, I 100% agree with that. It's at least when I've had my tattoos done, it's a very, you know, you're, it's a big exchange of energy. You're spending a lot of time with that person, mm-hmm. right? And in some ways, you're kind of bonded through your artist, yeah. right? And it's a gift from them. It's a it's an interesting collaboration together. So it sounds like you've deepened that ritual and honoring it a little bit more, which is right up my alley. Yeah, you leave a piece of you on another person. Yeah. And you do that over and over again. You're leaving these pieces of you around the world and creating a legacy. Yeah. In a way. It, did you do any of your own work or is this all? This others? is all my brother. It's all your yeah, brother. So my wow. brother did all this for me. Cool. Um, it's an energy exchange. Like you'll always remember the place and the feeling oh, yeah. that, that took place in there. Um, I know some clients who've had beautiful work from some well-known artists, but that they lasered off because the experience wasn't right. And they have to look at this every day and like, I'd rather not be reminded of that experience. And then there's some people who have like, okay work, but they just love the interaction. And now they call, they they build like these lifer relationships. Like they always go back to that artist. They send all their friends and their family there. 
uh, we invite clients over for Thanksgiving or for Christmas. And it's like, that's the kind of bond that we built because like, I love what I do, you know, and I want to like pour all my energy, all my knowledge and my experience into creating the art that represents who you are. And thank you so much for the trust, for allowing me to permanently mark you. Um, it's hard to, for, it's easy to forget that that's what we're doing because like we do this day in and day out. But for these people, like they may be coming here once mm -hmm. to get a single piece, or they're going to come here for the next couple of years because they're working on these big projects. And, um, you know, it, it's, it, it is sacred. You know, I, I do honor like every client that comes in the door. Well, Andy, thank you so much for being here. We super appreciate your time. Where do people find you, connect with you? Uh, Andy Fo on Instagram, A-N-D-Y-P-H-O. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks so much for coming, man. Yeah. Awesome Thanks for having us here, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, one last question before yeah. we go. I yeah, think everybody good. wants to know, did you get your Lambo? I didn't. I didn't get it. So part of it is, you know, not having the auto history credit for it. So I got to Escalade V. That's like the next mm -hmm. step up. Lambo still flies hell. Yeah, it still flies yeah. hell. I enjoy the hell out of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That car is super dope out there. Yeah. 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 All right, actually, one more question. What do you think... <laughs> What do you think about those? Have you seen those Instagram reels where like dudes go under anesthesia and they have like six tattoo artists uh -huh. tattooing on yeah. them? It's not safe, you know? And also like, I like- You could probably bleed out, right? If you're under- I, I know there's some complications that comes with anesthesia, but at the end of the day, like I like hanging out with the client. Yeah. I like having that energy exchange, um, but I get why it's appealing, especially if you can get a large amount of work done in a short period of time and you've got the money to do it. It's a great way to do it, but I like the energy exchange. I like the connection that I build. I think it's pussy shit. The pain is part but of it. Yeah, the pain is part of it. Yeah. Yeah. The pain is totally yeah, part I don't of use it. any numbing stuff in my tattoos. Yeah. And part of that is like, you know, you get to earn the ink. You get to wear it because like you sat through that pain. That's one of the bonding things yeah. with tattoo with, with people who have tattoos is like, it's how, respect. Ba how bad did that hurt? Yeah. How long did that take? We're always comparing to like a pain tolerance. Yeah, you're like, stuff. oh, how, how was that spot? Yeah, how yeah. was that spot? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. we know like your neck, like it's like, oh, brutal. Ooh, like yeah. But if every, if everybody's going under anesthesia, it has no meaning mm -hmm. as much anymore. Right. It's like anybody could get it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for thanks for hanging out. Yeah. Now we're now we're actually <laughs> now, now we're actually done. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Andy. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah, man, thanks fun. for coming on, bro. Yeah.